And I'm Casey. And this is Too Much Film School. This week we're going to be talking about Drive with Ryan Gosling. Uh, before we get started though this week, I wanted to thank all our listeners from around the world. Uh, we do this week in, week out, and don't know if anyone's actually going to download it, but looking <laughs> at the numbers, a couple hundred people are actually listening out there, so thanks for listening. I wanted to give a shout out to our fans around the world, since we actually have some people in the UK and uh, other areas, including Seychelles and Luxembourg. We have a listener in Luxembourg. <laughs> Although, I, based on the size of that country, I think that's a large percentage yeah. of Luxembourg. I'm going to say that uh, 10% of Luxembourgians <laughs> are listening to our podcast right now. Well, actually, I think the, the people of Luxembourg, when you refer to them as a group, are just called the Borg. Uh, <laughs> and their national model is resistance is futile, all will be assimilated. So... Greetings. <laughs> Greetings to Luxembourg. Yeah. So getting back to the film, we saw the film Drive, which is directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. I don't know how to pronounce it because I don't speak uh, Danish or whatever language yeah. it is that they speak there. Um, interesting note uh, from the beginning. Apparently, this director does not know how to drive a car. Wow. And watching the film, it's very clear. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I... Did not know that note beforehand. Looking back, mm, kind of actually might make sense. Uh, I had actually seen uh, his earlier movie, Valhalla Rising, like when this was coming out. A lot of talk was surrounding him being uh, kind of coming up foreign director in a like very crafted filmmaking kind of style and just having these, the, that drive was a spiritual successor or sequel to uh, Valhalla Rising. What is Valhalla Rising? It's set in olden times. Let's go with uh, 900s or so. This uh, boy's family is maybe killed, and uh, this mute warrior type guy uh, takes the boy in, who's got amazing strength, takes the boy in, and they go kind of on this journey. But there's no words um, in it, and so... So, it's very slow. Are you sure you're not thinking of the artist as being the yeah, that was, Oh, that's right. <laughs> that was the spiritual successor to uh, Valhalla Rising. So it's, uh, again, kind of about this very stoic warrior that um, uh, looks out for someone in need, even if it's not the best outcome, since he ultimately delivers the boy to... They, they go to another island or something to try and be safe, and he ends up... Uh, there's kind of aboriginal people there that kill him and he lets them like he <laughs> has a, a club type uh, weapon he's been using and he kind of drops it and lets them uh, hack him up they kind of look at the boy and all walk off and the boy is just left in now a foreign land <laughs> no family no means to sustain himself and so it's interesting in a but it is slow as all get out in a just uh, measured kind of contemplative 2001 Space Odyssey way. Okay, well, now, that's good to know, so that now I don't have to watch it. Right! <laughs> uh, I don't mind slow movies. In fact, I generally prefer slow movies, but I I sort of like the alternate kind of pacing, where it's slow for stretches and then something happens. Right. And this movie sort of has that. The car chases, uh, apparently they only had a day or two for each car chase, and uh, and there's like five or yeah. six in this movie. And they're all pretty well done. They're kind of short. But considering that it only cost $15 million, the car chases are pretty good. Like, they're, they're impressive, and the cars seem to be going fast. But they do a lot of tricks that if you look at them closely, you realize there's a lot of 
the one car is going to the left lane while the camera car is moving to the right lane, which gives the impression of greater speed than there actually is. There's a lot of shots from the like passenger side wheel well just looking up at Ryan Gosling, and the car's probably just sitting still and some grip is pushing it back and forth. But it, it's effective. Well, for as much as the movie is called Drive, and I thought <laughs> it was about all the car chases and things, I found them kind of really secondary to the character, and it's really supposed to be his intensity more than the driving itself or like the car taking on a character or something that Vanishing Point or one of those car movies has more. It was not a relationship between him and his car. It It was was not Smokey and the Bandit or Christine. Yep, it is a tool that he uses, but it is about the driver more. It should have been called Driver. The trailers made it look similar. No, it did seem like it was, they think they tried to cut it in a way that was a car movie or, you know, mob movie or heist in general um, level of action when really it was a character piece. See, I think that's what they were trying to do, and I think a lot of people were reading into it, like Peter Travers from Rolling Stone said it was the best movie of the year. Um, he's also an idiot. Right, right. <laughs> I was going to say, it's it's a quirky movie. I don't feel I wasted my time, but I don't think it was the best movie of the year. But anyway. I don't feel like I got to know the character at all. He was a, you read it as intensity, I read it as a blank slate that we could project our feelings onto him mind you i liked the character and it might be because of the background having seen valhalla rising and this knowing that he uh one word that comes up with the nicholas vending rifle movie is archetypes he likes to do these kind of just very simplistic archetype characters and so i was like oh fine that's cool with me like Again, if it had been called Driver, you know, and it was about <laughs> him, and he's he's a driver, it defines him. Uh, or, you know, again, Stoic Mute Warrior almost really applies to this character as well, because he probably has less lines than the artist. Uh, <laughs> for whatever reason, he just is quiet, and like I said, a blank slate almost, that we do project maybe things on, and other people project things on. It actually, for as much as I liked maybe the movie and the character, it almost has soured me on Ryan Gosling because he seems to just play this character a lot with the I'm quirky and maybe uh, cute and I could be Ryan Reynolds or, you know, Chris Evans, essentially, but I choose to take on these weird roles where people talk to me and I do a awkward little smile and look (laughs) past them and don't reply. Like... He, uh, United States of Leland, uh, was one of the first movies I think I saw him in, and he did this, and he was an awkward teenager kind of at the time, so it fit. Then, uh, he, you know, did The Notebook and kind of got successful, and women fell in love with him, and he's like, let's end that real quick (laughs) with Lars and the Real Girl. Yeah, Lars and the Real Girl, I'll be a weird guy that lives in a garage and just is socially awkward to the point where you're like, what is the name for the disorder this character has? <laughs> and they never, like, brand it that way. They're just like, oh, yeah, he's wacky or different. He's quirky. He's, you know, and I'm like, no, there's... Someone will classify this as some form of autism. or Like, and that those are the characters he goes with. I, I guess I don't have that baggage with him, because the only other movie I've seen him in was Ides of March. And he was a real guy with real emotions. And I thought I was disappointed in this, because he was so flat and one note. The only time he ever emoted is when he was murdering the shit out of somebody. Right. And I think he's a sociopath. I don't know if they're trying to portray that, but he has 
no emotions with anybody at any point except for I'm so angry I'm going to kill you. Yeah, I think sociopath might fall into that <laughs> definition of, but he's a sociopath for good with a moral code. I, I don't even know if he has a moral code. Like, it's not clear that it has anything to do with anything other than he met this woman, they seemed to like each other, and then he's going to murder the shit out of anybody that, that bothers her. Um, it, I don't think that's necessarily he's fighting for right or anything, because he doesn't do anything else that's on the side of good. He's just It's just this, this one woman that he happens to know. Yeah, it's her and her son that he uh, again looks out for. He kind of likes his uh, employer, uh, Brian Cranston, as well. He's got somewhat sense of loyalty, but yeah, he kind of like looks out for the girl and her kid and wants to help them even if it involves her now returned husband or whoever, you know, trying to get him some money, helping him out. So sacrificing what he would want, which we have to imagine what he would want. Since he doesn't speak and he doesn't take actions towards it. Well, beyond that, beyond the fact that he's very quiet, the, the film goes to great lengths to not show him talking when he is going to. Like, they go out to, uh, like, on some sort of almost date or something, mm-hmm. and they start to talk, and then the camera, we, we cut away, and then we cut back to them, like, returning to the apartment. And we don't know, and they're, like, laughing about something. We don't know what the conversation was. It, it, it got to the point where I thought it was, like, the sixth sense, where they were implying conversations that didn't actually happen. Like, that we assume they must have been talking, and this is what led us to think that Bruce Wells was alive. Spoiler alert. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> it! It felt like that. I was like, "Is he a ghost? Is that what's going? Is this a ghost car? Is he? Is he the physical embodiment of Christine? Like, <laughs> is that what's going to end up happening here?" Uh, no, it's just like beyond how stoic he is, the camera will not let us see him engaging with anyone, and I and I think it's a cheat if they're trying to to create stoicism. Yeah, and distance. I I don't know. It's a technique, not so much cheat. God, why is there rules all of a sudden that you're not allowed to? Say not. They're trying. They're making him more stoic than he actually is because he clearly said something. He clearly had some charm to to make this woman trust a strange man in her home if she is intending on being with her her jailed husband when when or boyfriend. I'm not sure. Yeah, I forget. Uh, when Maybe he returns, again. like in any case, she clearly still has feelings for her husband or boyfriend, uh, but she's letting a strange man into her house. He must have been really, really charming for that to be okay. I'm going to go ahead and say... And we just don't see it. The feeling she has for her baby daddy might be a sense of duty. And that when you say really, really charming, replace charming with good looking. uh, (laughs) I think you're in the right ballpark. He's Ryan Gosling. I mean, women want him. Men all want to be him. No. Uh, He's kind of bulked up and, you know, like the uh, crazy stupid love was all based on like, oh, look how hot he is so i think i could i forgave her letting him into her apartment because i'm like man eh. uh, <laughs> that's how those women are like, i let him into my apartment <laughs> so those women are you know they're unmarried unwed mothers um, so i didn't have as much problem with that uh i think i read the technique of cutting away yes i think that impacted me feeling he was very stoic it overall i didn't mind those things very much and i felt like the movie was very succinct in presenting this character, even with whatever baggage I brought from it. <laughs> and that it actually felt like, even from the, the title card, uh, like a love letter to older 70s or 80s movies, the, the oh my neon God. pink. The music. <laughs> the I 
Not only did I hate this soundtrack, I think I hate all music now because the music was so terrible. That that opening credit sequence, I almost stopped watching the movie and just said, I'll, I'll just make up something while we're watching it. Because it was shitty 80s opening right. titles. I, I saw To Live and Die in L.A. I don't need to see it again. It was actually not a bad movie. I wouldn't mind seeing it again. But still, like I, those credits, I hated them so much. I saw them as dated and thought, and oh, we're doing it on purpose. I thought it was a period piece, and then we, we and then the opening, opening shots are of uh, Brian Cranston opening up the garages or walking by the cars, and he's got all these like 1970s Pontiacs and things, and I'm like, okay, we're in the late 70s, and then he gets to the 2005 Impala or whatever that's for his job. He's like, the Impala is the most common car in LA. You should be good. I'm like, oh, we're in modern times. Uh, also, was that true? I could have sworn that, like, the Camry had cool Yeah, cars. I would have given it to them. <laughs> I was those. surprised by that. Maybe but, they wanted to have American cars or something as a Americanness, because I think later he steals a Mustang, he's got a... They do seem to be a lot of American Mustangs. Yeah. But, I mean, if you're a getaway driver, that makes, makes sense. If you're... The opening sequence he's trying to blend in, that does seem foreign, you know, compact car to me. But if you're trying to drive really fast... American muscle cars. No, I meant more for the mood that filmmaker is trying to make it about American cars and only, right. maybe only feature those. Uh, so they twisted that one fact about it being the most common car. But the opening uh, heist where he's uh, got the two guys and he tells them you got the five-minute window and everything, I liked the tension of staring at the door, waiting for the other guy, tick, 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 tick. So that introduced it premise of the film fairly well. I don't think that his driving was overly great in that opening scene. The helicopter does chase them and he pulls underneath the alley or bridge and it passes by. He does some interesting tricks. I feel like there's a lot of overpasses in Los Angeles and I think maybe helicopters might have a solution for that. I, <laughs> I feel like this is something that must have come up at some point yeah. in the 40 years that we've had police helicopters. It probably is not overly realistic. <laughs> I suspended disbelief enough to like it and then he pulls into the, uh, he's listening to the radio the whole time about the staple center. Yeah, that, that was sort of fun. Well, before that, though, he pulls into, like, a parking spot, and the cops, like, just keep going. They're like, oh, well, if he just robbed a bank, he's clearly not going to park there. Exactly. I'm just going to keep going. Like, the police are kind of dumb in this opening yep. sequence. I agree. Well, going to the Staples Center, though, that was clever. I was like, wow, wow that I hadn't really thought of that. Clever. It was done in the next three days with Russell Crowe. Uh, he's breaking his oh, wife out of prison. Oh, I had not seen that. Snatches are there in Pittsburgh or Philadelphia, wherever the Penguins play, and uh, a hockey game is starting and he breaks her out and he says here and he pulls out penguins gear out of a bag and they put it on and they walk into the subway thing with a crush of people and so i was like that's super clever it's not like it's a cliche enough that i faulted them for doing it here so intro of the movie kind of got me up to pace got me to like it uh felt like a period piece wasn't but then his character development or lack thereof just was slightly awkward and made me think, oh, Ryan Gosling, look at you being charmingly autistic or whatever. <laughs> uh, so that did smack a little. Uh, what was sort of most disappointing about that characterization is that I, I didn't feel like, you mentioned this, this director likes to use uh, archetypes, but I didn't feel that way about anybody else. I felt like Brian Cranston, Brian Cranston was like a wise old man mechanic thing, but like he did a really interesting version of that. And Albert Brooks's evil, threatening guy was in a very different Nuanced tone way, than I yeah. normally see. Even um, Ron Perlman, even his characterization was subtle and, and threatening in a sort of unusual way. I did not get to know the driver very well at all. It was He might have been the most two-dimensional or you know iconic kind of, uh, if we use the word archetypes. I felt like Brian Cranston did 
personify a bit of a pathetic but loving father character that might be, you know, if in other movies he's an alcoholic or something, it's he well-intentioned, but he keeps screwing up to the point where he's killing them. Literally, oh, you are terrible at this thing you're doing, so you, you're going to die because you're... <laughs> I realize you institute the death penalty for anybody who's bad at the job. I didn't do it in this one. He, they actually followed through. Maybe that's why I like this <laughs> Albert Brooks, I thought, was very nuanced in his being a bad guy, but not liking it and wishing he could do something normal like owning a race car, but having to kill... Brian Cranston, it's almost reluctant, and so admirable. Something normal, like owning a race car. <laughs> so, well, something uh, for himself, you know, right. get out of the lifestyle, legitimize. But Ron Perlman was a little more archetypal of a bad guy. Sure, in but that. he was a secondary character. Anyway, he was. So he was, but he was the reason that Albert Brooks was like, I can't let you off on this. There's this guy behind me, or my partner. The characters had enough of recognizable iconography in them, and yet enough nuance that I liked them. Yeah, I liked all of them except for him. He uh, was awkward. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> uh, when you mentioned the, the car racing, uh, Albert Brooks buying the car, again, the uh, director and apparently the writer don't know anything about uh, car racing. You don't you don't buy a car <laughs> and then you race it. Right. Like, cars crash all the time. Yeah. Like, you have Four. dozens or something. Yeah. And, like, they're even retarded. Like, they're walking around. They're like, look at the tread on this tire. They changed the tires, like, 15 Three, times yeah. in a race. <laughs> like, there is nothing... Buying one car is not going to solve their problems. And those the, those people that race the Indy circuit, or the... Sorry. Formula. Race the, no. the stock car circuit, like... They train, like, from... The, where they were kids racing go-karts. Yeah. Like, they, they're not just people that like to drive. Like, it's a very complex, difficult thing. Plus, you have a team worth of, like, mechanics, not one guy who has a limp. Like, there is... They have zero chance in this... Uh, it, it was pretty uh, childish and simplistic, I felt. I looked at it as, because I went, yeah, that's... And it's not even, like, him being able to elude cops and drive and do all these things, go in reverse. Those cars don't have reverse. They are turning <laughs> left for 500 miles. I don't care how well he drives. How can he turn left? Like, And it's almost a mathematical equation of like, oh, I need to come in at 30 degrees at, you know, come down to 60 miles an hour at the turn and then punch it. Like, they study millimeters on degrees of where to turn and when to punch it so that you, like, lessen the drag and things like that. It just comes down to math and, like, trying to overcome over the course of 500 miles if i can shave off a tenth of a second i will the difference between first place and like 12 yeah and it's just like okay and not crash uh, like, right, awesome. that might come in he might being a good driver avoiding collisions but other than that yeah it's not really different. a similar thing besides wanting to be a race car driver he is a stunt driver and he's a getaway guy and he works as a mechanic yeah Stunt drivers, Lots there's not a lot of stunt drivers. They make tons of money. <laughs> if you're a stunt man that's good enough to do a car flip, like, you get hired for every... There's like three guys that do that particular kind of car flip. Every time they want the car to flip, they get that guy. And you'd think, working in the movie business, that they, they actually had to have an actual stunt man do that car flip. Yeah. Like, you'd think that that guy would be like, this doesn't make any... Why does he need money so bad? <laughs> like, uh, I almost read that as... An this might be me uh, oversimplifying things. I didn't have a problem with I did think, yeah, why don't you just go all into stunt car driving? Uh, clearly, you, he did not seem intrigued by it 
he didn't seem intrigued by anything, including a woman hitting on him. So he, I thought maybe he, it wasn't his passion. Clearly he didn't have one, but maybe he's <laughs> looking for it. The other thing that allowed me to go, yeah, whatever, is that clearly Brian Cranston is managing him and maybe even signing his checks or being like, yeah, just, yeah, I pay him and you're using my stuntman service company. Right. And uh, then all his money goes to Albert Brooks anyway for his past gambling debts or anything. So I feel like it's never enough money because he's Brian Cranston's taken it to pay off. Actually, that dynamic uh, reminded me most of uh, Leon, the professional, in that he's this simple guy who does one thing really well and is being managed by, you know, a somewhat lower-level mob guy or whatever. Tony Ayala is I, the actor. He gives his money to the guy. And that, he just says, how much money do I money to Oh, yeah, money. don't worry, I'm like a bank, uh, except nobody knocks this guy off. It's, he's not keeping records of how much money a guy's given him. He's, again, Leon was very... Good at his job, there's one thing, but childlike in everything else and needing to be taken care of. So I was fine with the amount of money, him not knowing. And also, it didn't look like he was overly passionate about it. He's not particularly passionate, like you said, about anything. Right. It, it's uh, Other than killing people. Like, once, once the killing starts, then he's really into it. Well, it's not like they show him grinning and pouring blood down his face. <laughs> uh, even with one of the He's elements. pretty down with it, though. Yeah. Uh, one of the elements that I also liked uh, about the movie is I told you, I talked about the love letter to the 80s or kind of the music and the visuals of even his his jacket is that kind of he says a scorpion embroidered on the back of like a satin whatever members only ish jacket from that very time period and would look dated but is done well um, the you talked about the music a lot of elements like the even just the sound design kind of had this they would do these like uh, Blade Runner-esque just tones with kind of lens flares and colors maybe even, you know, like he's driving or something at night. But I'm like, wow, that's pretty Blade Runner out there Uh, in, again, a late 70s, early 80s way. Uh, And then the part where he actually kills Ron Perlman or takes the mask from the, the stunt driving thing and is approaching him was entirely just horror film uh, 80s like and he's now the car is you know the killer like we see the headlights behind Ron Perlman's car hitting him, and it starts doing this tone and there might be a lighthouse and I'm like where is there a lighthouse I know the whole time I was like this is supposed to be Los Angeles yeah. right do we have a lighthouse anywhere? it was just so they could have the lens flare to go with the because <laughs> lighthouses make that sound uh, anytime the light passes over you so but he, he Hits him with the car, knocks him onto the beach, and then approaches him with this Michael Myers S mask that just devoids him of any whatever character yes. and emotion <laughs> Ryan Gosling was not doing. That's now gone in a creepy old man mask looking thing, and which he's is a killing weird, him. A weird concept. I'm gonna put on a mask so nobody can recognize me. I'm still gonna wear my members only jacket right. with a giant scorpion on the back. No one's going to narrow that down. Right. Um, they sell hundreds of thousands. Of those. <laughs> Every mall I've seen, actually. So, well, I realize we've skipped way ahead to the end of the movie, but that scene drove me nuts because he crashes Ron Perlman's car. Ron Perlman looks left, looks right. I know how I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to run into the ocean. <laughs> how is that? Like, I understand they just wanted from him. It's a horror movie running up the stairs to the moment. It's, it was. It's stupid then. It's yeah. stupid now. There's no. There is every. There are so many other directions to run other than into the water. It made no. Oh, I was. I was. I was like, he's gonna strangle him in the water. Like that's that's what he's going to do. Which 
is sort of a interesting way to murder someone in a movie, but has no thematic resonance in this film. Like we've never even seen water up to this point. Like I don't know. He's not a a, a, a ship captain. He's a car driver. Right. <laughs> like wh- why did it? Why did they think? Oh, drowning him is going to be the way that we should take out the number two bad guy. That was like this. You just wanted to drown someone like that. He, he hit him with the car first. He used <laughs> the car. Uh, the car was there. The car watched from the beach. It did. Uh, but yeah, it, it, was, it was a weird... You could tell that the director was like, I want him to strangle him in the water. Uh, that doesn't make any sense, Nicholas. I don't care. <laughs> We're strangling him in the water. I, it was just the whole... That whole bit was like... Yeah. Why are you doing this? I was too elated with the, oh, this is a fun horror movie uh, now, so a lot of those things didn't jump out to me. There's a lot of crazy horror movie stuff when he murders the guy in the elevator and when right. he's going to hammer the bullet until they get into the one dude's face. It, the movie does take a very, and I think a lot of people have noted this, it takes a very sharp turn from a interesting, contemplative, you know, driving movie to just murdering everybody left and right. Faces exploding. They shoot Joan from Mad Men, and her head explodes. Who's Joan from Mad Men? She's also Saffron from Firefly. Uh, right. I don't watch Mad Men. You You're should. talking about Christina Hendricks? Yes. All right. Her that most was, famous role. Is that Drive. was Christina Hendricks in Drive? I would have recognized her size F breast. Have you seen Drive? <laughs> I did not recognize her because her blouse was not low cut enough. Like, <laughs> she has a signature look. And so all covered I up. I think she has two. So yes. So, um, yeah, I, so it, it's very gory. You know, uh, the the husband uh, gets his head blown off. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, it's very gory. cut open uh, Brian Cranston's wrist. It was, it, it gets very gory very suddenly without, without warning. warning. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't find that as surprising, though, because I didn't. Imagine the movie not being violent or gory. And there was no build-up to it. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, I was going to say... Uh, go ahead. Oh, you mentioned we jumped ahead, by the way, if you wanted to go back, but none of the scenes actually until then stood out to me. So <laughs> well, we one, introduced him. He does some stuntman stuff. There's the girl, but uh, aside from the overall tone, a lot of those just added up to... Him being awkward, and then hey, he gets to kill people. Well, the one thing that that bugged me that was it was a very small thing, but when uh, the husband comes home, uh, and there's all of his buddies from his old gang are hanging out. Right. These are the most clean cut ex convicts I have ever seen. Like they all look well respect. Like I don't know what yeah. he must have gone to prison for like embezzling from That's, a uh, yeah. Fortune 500 company because well, they all looked not dangerous at all. I didn't think Fortune 500 company, but when he got home, I was like, uh oh gang related or something and then he comes his friends are there and I'm like oh he's got like a supportive either these are family members or something I'm like maybe he just yeah cooked the books at the mechanic shop he was working <laughs> at and they're like you stole like five grand from us didn't you you know like it could it didn't have to be drugs or drive buying and I, it kind of changed my view of like oh he's maybe not that bad he just stole money or did something and then he, but he immediately goes into a uh Stick up, which is not something that a guy who stole money. who who is a uh, white collar criminal does. Like right. you don't you don't work with those that a group that kind of people that then say your next task is to is to stick up uh, an arm, you know, uh, I think pawn shop. Pawn shop is that what it was? Right. Um, it's 
it's just so it doesn't it doesn't those two things did not line up and I, again it felt like this director doesn't understand American culture and didn't know what the like uh, visual cues were telling us about his character cliches is the word you're looking for what the cliches are cliches happen for a reason about because him that's how needing to have a bunch of friends like hey, it's good to see you out essay <laughs> well let's say they had behaved that way but if he's the kind if he's a gun toting criminal. Then there's that's that's one way that people behave, and a white collar criminal behaves a different way, and the never the twain shall meet. And he did not, you know, that's just, it. Just doesn't make any sense. It didn't, even if it. They there's ways of like I said, Brian Cranston, his character. You could say that's sort of a cliche that he's an old man who's you know giving him advice, but they colored it in a way that was not cliche. Right, but these characters weren't cliche. Were the were wrong kind. <laughs> The wrong kind of people. There were some white people, I think, there. You're right. Racist! <laughs> I, first of all, we've established many podcasts. You're the racist one. Uh, secondly, clearly, uh, Ryan Gosling is a white guy who's a criminal. I'm not saying that they all, it was not their skin color. It was the way that they, they were wearing polo shirts. Like, they looked like they're on their way to a rugby match. <laughs> they were not uh, hardened uh, street thugs. I think street rugby is a big gang. <laughs> So, um, really good of soccer. Ah, right. Um, so that I'm invalidating right now. I found it refreshing that it wasn't just a regular, like, uh, Luis Guzman showing up <laughs> and being like, Hey, little cousin, I'm glad you're out. Now let's go talk to my friend Escobar. And, <laughs> and it doesn't have to even be about race. I mean, Luis Guzman plays that part a lot in things where he shows up and it's, they're like, oh, we run a criminal enterprise of some kind. Like, there are people that three friends are like, you know what? We're not making enough with these, you know, minimum wage jobs. Let's hold up a place. So maybe he did that. <laughs> or maybe he didn't do anything like that. And the he, it's in prison, these guys looked out for him, maybe because he was a white-collar criminal. And they're like, hey, if you want to keep your uh, bottom free from rapage, <laughs> you will pay me back when we get out and he's like okay and they're like this is what you have to do they clearly were setting him up to die uh when during the heist was that intentional i was not clear on that i thought they actually did want to get the money from they the wanted place. to get the money he, they wanted him dead okay even if he didn't die they were gonna kill him really? or they were gonna rob them after they robbed the place oh the that's who car. the other car was that's yeah right. okay, i was going nice. to rob them I assume kill them or something, even though it was kind of convoluted. It was as weird because he was going to bring the money back. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get this car to run them off the road and like kill all of them and take the money that they're bringing to us. Um, but maybe, they were the smartest criminals, right? Yeah. And even once it got brought back to him, when Ryan Gosling has the hammer and is hitting the pimp and everything, it's like call whoever's money this is. I thought he was calling the person that got robbed, and so when it was Ron Perlman, I was like, oh crap, you just robbed your uh, somewhat employer, right? And then I'm like, just tell him, give him the money back and say, hey, this uh, piece of crap strip club owner robbed you. I found the money. I'm your employee, remember? Driver guy? I found it and I'm returning it to you. But instead they're like, no, no, Ron Perlman was robbing the other people. And I was like, okay, well, either way, he's a dutiful employee that's bringing you your money back. And then they, they finally, after a while, you know, clarify it with Albert Brooks by saying, you robbed the... Philadelphia family or whatever, and so we have to get rid of anyone that knows about it in case they it does get back to them. 
So at that point, they're just cleaning up loose hands. And Which Ryan Gosling clearly never talks. I don't know why they're concerned yeah. about him. He doesn't know whose money this is. He doesn't remember who what Ron Perlman was or ever having <laughs> met him. He is childlike in nature. Yeah. He would not retain a whole lot. So yeah. uh, I feel like the whole uh, we need to kill everyone so they can't rat us out plan, uh, whenever that comes up in a movie, I'm like, aren't there a lot of crimes that you commit that you don't want people talking about? Like, do you just murder everyone you know? They have to kill They're disposable employees. <laughs> like, is this a, who, then who do you, who comes, to, you know what? Uh, so why is there a job opening this week? Oh, uh, you murdered everyone else uh, last week. They moved on to got promoted. <laughs> they are all happily working in Philadelphia for the crime family. You can be too. Go to the island. Yeah, it's it's a very strange plot point. I don't, I'm not really um, too engrossed with it. Um, that at least <laughs> takes us up to Ron Perlman being killed, which again re- piques my interest in more of a. I like this scene as opposed to I like the general feel of the movie. Um, actually, we said a moment ago I wanted to bring up when he's in the strip club hammering the uh, bullet into the. You said pimp, but um, whatever that guy's job was into his forehead, there was all the strippers around. They were the only other characters that were as sort of stoic and blank-faced as Ryan Gosling. Do people come in and threaten their boss's life on a regular basis? Because they were having no reaction. I took that as yes. And or, they would be fine if he died. But they weren't excited about it. They were just like, yeah, it's Tuesday. Someone's got a hammer to his face. It's it's a quiet, reserved hope. It's like, I don't want to get too excited, because if he makes it out of this, he's going to be angry that I was cheering on that he would die. So they're on the fence. That's what I read that as. What I read it as was that they cast uh, actual strippers and and, uh, porn stars and uh, didn't give them very good direction. Okay. (laughs) Or they got bored after realizing, oh, you guys do more than one take? We, <laughs> I'm used to just one and done. Um, so, that's how I read it. <laughs> I uh, see. It was not a very uh, effective um, re- reaction. Like, I generally do like it when they shoot, because they shot it in a wide shot, and you can clearly see everybody in the room, which is uh, an older style. The movie is slower paced, and they try a lot of uh, uh, slower cutting and stuff. And this scene could have benefited from a few few more close-ups, so I didn't have to stare at the, the blank-faced stripper. <laughs> You're staring at the stripper's face. There's <laughs> your main problem. There's just practical things in this movie that don't make a lot of sense. When they rob the pawn shop, it's him, Christina Hendricks, and the husband who just got out of jail. So there's three people. Right. He brings a two-door. Why would you... <laughs> like, we have to get out of here quickly... I'm going to have to fold down the front seat and you squeeze into the back. Like, there's just things that, like, a guy who drives professionally would think of that these people who made this movie don't drive cars and don't know what makes sense. That as he stole a Mustang, clearly, I think, a GT or, like, muscle car. He went with engine over that. I'm pretty sure there are cars that have four doors and can go really fast. I've seen all of the Fast and Furious movies. Any one of them would have been fine as a getaway vehicle. It's just the the logic of the movie, it's a lot more of a uh, a feeling rather than actual experience. I did not feel like they were portraying anything even remotely close to reality. It was... Oh yeah, there was no like technical advisor that's like, oh I'm a getaway driver so here's what like same thing we talked about the stock car racing, and yeah, they didn't ask anyone who actually does stock car racing what they would do, but I don't know that they had to. Like, they went, ooh, stock car racing, it's a thing on the side. I 
wasn't searching for technical proficiency in this because compared to something like Haywire or Mission Impossible where it is a procedural uh, thing, I didn't. I think this was. I felt more like it was supposed to be a emotional embodiment. Humorous choice of words there, since we've discussed Ryan Gosling's <laughs> devoid of emotion, but supposed to be the spirit of these actions and not the technical. It is. It it's process. sort of a tone poem, and that it yeah. looks very pretty, and it it evokes uh, certain feelings. But it's. I would sort of be happy with this if it was a. 30-second commercial, or a music video, or even a short film would be fine, but it was an hour and a half, and so little happens. It's strange. You could say that they're, uh, that it's sort of economical storytelling, that they're being efficient and, and cutting out all like the ex- extraneous stuff, mm-hmm. and just getting straight to, uh, here's this character, he meets this girl, they have some sort of relationship, we don't need to see all that because we sort of understand you know, what it is. But honestly, I, I don't get any sense for the characters. I don't care about them. The story doesn't really make a lot of sense. And so all you get, all you're left with is these pretty pictures, which I don't need 90 minutes of. Like, I'll just flip through a car magazine. 90 minutes might have been long for it. I don't know that it would have gotten uh, Ryan Gosling or as many stars if they said, hey, we're going to shoot a 25-minute <laughs> short film. It's going to be very impactful, just tone-based about this character. That might have packed more punch and... Or had all the good parts that I liked. So that might have worked, but that's not really business savvy going to make sense in Hollywood. So No, you're not going to make any money off of a short film. But I'm not, this movie didn't really make a ton of money anyway. So I will agree with you that it is like a tone poem or like a Nirvana song where, yeah, you get emotions. Like if you actually look at what's being said or the words, they don't make sense. <laughs> like, yes, if you read what the actual lyrics are. They, they don't mean anything. A mosquito and albino. Yeah. But it's the feeling that it gives when you put them all together. Yeah, but that feeling, I'm not identifying with the character. I don't think that the character is feeling anything. I feel like I'm projecting my feelings onto him. I don't uh, think Kurt Cobain was feeling anything much of the time he was performing either. But I think if you listen to uh, Friend of a Friend by the Food Fighters, I think you'll understand that Kurt Cobain had a lot of feelings. I... Cannot stand the food. So <laughs> not gonna do, right not gonna do what you just recommended. And uh, we can cut out the Kurt Cobain thing. Do you think too soon? <laughs> Twenty years later. And again, like you were saying the the story doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense. There's there's points where I was just literally confused in the elevator scene where he murders the crap out of the dude that's going to kill them. Does Carrie Mulligan know why he's killing this guy? Like he just, he kisses her and then he starts killing someone. Does that mean anything to her? She doesn't even know her husband's dead at this stage. Um, she's one, She's like, oh, he's missing. I hope they find him. And he's and he kisses her, and then he's like, I'm gonna kill this guy now. What I does think that she's mean just to happy her? he's showing some emotion. <laughs> the kiss and the kill, like they're different ones, but it's along the same line of he's developing. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I don't know if she trusts him enough to hope that that's motivated for something, or again, if she's like, well, he's he's really hot. <laughs> you did just kill a random person in front of me uh, but maybe that gets him going so basically the story a lot of driving around kills a bunch of people eventually he catches up with Albert Brooks and he's like here's the money or I had the money in my trunk Yeah, leave the girl alone and then he pops the trunk and turns his back on Albert Brooks who's killed everyone that he's ever known what kind of idiot is this guy I read that more as he knows Albert Brooks is going to do something. 
He's going to try and kill him. And he had already said, I'll let the girl go, but not you. You forfeited that. And that felt more like that sense of morality or uh, justice or some kind of code that even Albert Brooks feels of stating the guy is not going to lie to him, even though he lied to, I think, Brian Cranston before he killed him. Uh, he feels, seems reluctant to do this. He respects or likes these people somewhat. And he even says as much, I think. But he says... You think uh, Ryan Gosling respects Albert Brooks? No, Albert Brooks respects and likes Ryan Cranston or Ryan Gosling and says, you got spunk, kid. You, you know, you got moxie. I wish I didn't have to kill you. Or not in so many words, but... Something to that effect. Yeah. To that effect. And they go out and so it's either a Brad Pitt in uh, a coward assassination of... Yeah, I understand the movie. Uh, <laughs> by the coward. It's a long title, but Brad Pitt's in it, and he seems so weary with life of his gunslinger that he essentially knows these people are probably going to kill him and turns his back on them, uh, almost committing suicide. So I read almost that level of weariness in Ryan Gosling's character that he knows his number's up, but he also uh, still reacts and has his, you know, he has a knife doesn't make a ton of sense, though, because Albert Brooks is the last person to threaten him. Just kill Albert Brooks. You killed enough people already. Like, why not? What, what, what is the morality? What is the, what is the principle that he's standing on that he's like, I'm not going to kill Albert Brooks until he kills me first? Right. It, he doesn't want to do it in cold blood, even though, yeah, the guy he in the elevator... He killed a lot of other people in cold blood. The guy blood. in the elevator was... Uh, it's just that drama. that guy wasn't a, isn't a famous actor with a, with a named character. Like, yeah. I still feel like he respect he we you asked if he respected Albert Brooks. I think he did a bit more, at least for being honest with him. Okay, well respect him with your knife. Yeah, he ultimately did and left the money. And then he dries off like Shane and ugh, they're planning on making a sequel to this. Okay. Straight up, he's going to be he's, he survives. Like that's not like a it's no longer ambiguous. They're like there's gonna be a sequel, he's gonna drive around some more. And not have any emotions and kill more people. Is that the title? Drive Around some more. <laughs> I hope it has the word around. One odd thing about that scene also is uh, Albert Brooks stabs him and then he turns around and stabs Albert Brooks back. And they cut to the uh, shadow because I guess like showing Christina Hendricks' head explode is fine, but uh, seeing two men stab each other is a little too much, so they're going to be a little classy. And we're only going to show the shadows. But when you look at the shadow, it, it really looks like uh, Ryan Gosling is teabagging Albert Brooks. Okay. It's very odd. I did not notice that. And his crotch is right on Albert Brooks' head, and he, like, moves up and down a little bit. It's... It made me giggle. It's I don't know what it was on purpose. When you kill someone, if you <laughs> Call of Duty, you know that. And yeah. So you show them that you have bested them. <laughs> and that transitions into the mob world as well. <laughs> I hope that that is, uh, that is true. Um... But, but in the end, like, none of this seems to matter to me. Like, it, every, everybody who thinks this is such a great movie now, like, in 2012, we talked about how great it was. Uh, five years from now, everybody's going to be embarrassed. Like, like the fact that Chicago won Best Picture. Like, everybody's going to be like, ah, we really like Drive. Like, are we going to... Is this going to be a movie that has, like, a 98 on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever it is? I honestly feel that way about Fight Club. Like, uh, every yeah. time I have watched Fight Club, I've liked it less than the previous time. And uh, I don't, like, drive that much to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> it's all downhill from here. I think it's it's a it's almost uh, Emperor's New Clothes that there's nothing to it, but everybody, if you say, I 
I didn't see the point in this movie. Then everybody's like, oh, well, you're clearly dumb. If you, if you can't see it, like, I can see it. Can you see it? I can totally see it. And uh, everybody's just sort of faking each other out about how much they can see into this movie. That's really uh, just blank and empty, and uh, we're projecting ourselves onto the pretty pictures. I haven't heard enough good praise for this movie to feel that that's okay. I watched I've heard nothing, but it's the best movie. I think, like I said, the, I heard interviews about it in leading up to it, talking about his previous movies, uh, and had saw Valhalla Rising maybe on IFC. I'm like, why is this on? And then heard an NPR story interviewing him and going, oh! That was that movie I just watched. That's probably why they were running it to begin with. So I heard a lot of the lead up to the movie, and then uh, don't I think like the artist has clearly eclipsed this. If you were to hear one thing that's just a resounding, amplifying, regurgitating, we love this movie, it was the, about the artist leading up to it. So I didn't hear a whole lot of uh, outs uh, for drive aside from like maybe a few good reviews or things, but it was drowned out by something like that. Yeah, but the artist was enjoyable. So, right. Um, this, for as much as this being a blank slate that we do projecting on, I agree. It's simplistic, it's slow, it's understated, and it is kind of minimalist in very few brushstrokes, but I can actually read something into the, in the blank spaces, and yes, it's me projecting it there, but I don't know that that's not on purpose. I guess, uh, <clears throat> I, guess I don't give credit to filmmakers who... Leave it up to the audience to do all the work. It's like jazz. You have to listen to the notes they're not playing. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> common phrase for how you're supposed to understand jazz. And I don't understand the, jazz. The, the Simpsons line you should do next is, I could do that from home. <laughs> you listen to the notes they're not playing. You could just not. Yeah, I that so, um... Uh, it's just, it struck me, like I said, as something simple. I brought up The Professional or Leon, um, but that had much more of a character arc and he even said out loud like i want to go on when he's dying you know he felt for the character he had a change he felt the love he felt for a 12 year old girl uh before dying <laughs> well that movie is, has some weird <laughs> points on it it's a french director so <laughs> it I, I do like there's some cool stuff in the french version but i like the american version for taking out the the pedophilia <laughs> and it's clearly a father-daughter relationship okay sure version. Uh, but even even so, the uh, just the emotional content in it is there. Yes. There is some, the character, even for as simplistic and childlike but deadly as he is, you feel has an arc. And, uh, I mean, even Gary Oldman, just everyone seems emotionally packed in that movie. <laughs> just compared to a regular movie, not just this one. But I think in scope or story, it's... Gary similar. Oldman has more emotion in the, the, the point at which he shouts everyone than... Than uh, this entire film has right, the no, entirety yeah. of the film. I, I feel no connection to the driver in this. He doesn't even have a name. A lot of characters don't have names in films. But it does smack to a bit of the uh, why we don't connect with him if we don't even know his given name. <laughs> right. My uh, thought is suspense in a film, or really in any sort of storytelling, is about morality. If the good guys are not going to succeed in their goal, or if the bad guys are going to succeed in, your, in their goal, that's where the audience feels suspense. We want the good guys to win. In this film, there's no good or bad... There's, there's bad guys, but there's no good guys. I mean, for instance, when the dad and Christine Hendricks go into the pawn shop and they're going to rob the place, it's not really clear if any of them... Like, Carrie Mulligan is a good guy, but... It's not clear if her husband is. We don't know anything about Christina Hendricks. We don't know anything about the driver. We don't know if what they're doing is a 
good or bad thing. So we don't feel like we hope they succeed. There's just nothing there. And because of the way the film is shot, you you definitely understand that this is going to end tragically, that, that one or all of them are going to die. So there's no question of whether they will succeed or not. And we don't care if they succeed or not. So it, the, there's no suspense at any point in the film. And I just, I can't connect to that. I don't, I don't like to just look at the pretty images on the screen. That high scene didn't have as much suspense as the opening one, where they're robbing, say, the warehouse or whatever? Well, I feel like the opening scene, you get, you get some leeway because we're like Ryan Gosling, main character, will we'll just give him the benefit of the doubt right. of being a, the good guy. But after the first scene, you have to do something to make us like him. He never does anything. There was still some remnant of suspense for, like, just the ticking clock and watching the door and the editing. It yeah, wasn't it was, on a personal note of wanting him to succeed, but it was a level of tension yeah, well, more we, so than suspense. We clearly know what their goal is, and we know that the, the danger is the police. And the way it's, it's, it's built, it, it's shot and edited to reinforce those things. We are, that they are afraid of the police. We show their sh the shots of the cops are tension-filled with the, the blah music and stuff. Yeah. And it's paced in such a way that we, we know what will happen if they fail. But later on in the film, we, don't, we no longer have the goodwill of let's just go with the protagonist because we don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy. And quite frankly, he's a little bit creepy and he's kind of a bad guy. So cute. Uh, <laughs> the I'll give you that the suspense or any, uh, even if it's not suspense, tension comes from more technical aspects rather than emotional or character-driven ones. So I didn't feel for the character or want him to succeed. I kind of wanted him to do it for the little kid. You know, I maybe was three times removed going, all right, I want the dad to succeed so that he can get the money to the bad guys so that they'll stop threatening the little boy. <laughs> so it was fairly uh, obscure. Right. There was that remnant of it, but I also was like, or he could die, and then he could end up with, the driver could end up with the girl. So right. that that's also an outcome. I'm guessing that's what's going to happen. So I was waiting more for the other shoe to drop, because like you said, the way it was cut, we knew someone was going to die right. there. So it was suspenseful or waiting of was suspenseful in that I knew what was coming and I'm just waiting for it rather than hoping uh, you know that they'll succeed for any moral reasons it's just a, a a dry unfeeling film that looks nice and you know watch the trailer <laughs> well I enjoyed it got a lot of great visuals and acting I don't think the storyline or the emotional content were overly engaging but I enjoyed it overall. I thought the 90 minutes didn't feel that long for me, but I like slow-paced movies and do project a lot of uh, pieces into the blank spaces. So I don't like to give credit to filmmakers who sort of leave it to the audience to project their their feelings onto it. There, there, there's, there's, it's one thing when you leave something open to interpretation a little bit, but you have your own thought as to what it means. This movie... I really felt like he was just saying, let's let's do some cool-looking driving shots, and if the audience is, you know, in a bad mood, it'll seem like he's angry, and if they're in a good mood, he's going to seem like he's happy. And, like, it, he, I don't feel like he, he felt these things meant anything. I think he assumed we would put our own definition onto it. And I don't think he gets he should get credit for, uh, for that, because he didn't do any of the work. I feel like this has come up before, and we've discussed art... 
you know, in a classical sense, creates a reaction in the viewer. And if it were a painting on a wall, you know, uh, and you you are expected to read into it and have your own interpretation reaction, and that's where the essence of the art is, is in you, not in what's on the wall. Like, so I... don't I, feel that way about a painting either. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Who says that's the that, classical definition of art? I am saying since the 1950s, this idea has come up again and again. Oh, yeah, and it's always it's terrible. Modernist, <laughs> that's maybe when I, I should have said modern art, but even... Mona Lisa, like, why people are supposed to be like, oh, it's interesting because she's smiling, or like, why is she smiling? What's outside the canvas? But I feel like canvas? he knows why she's smiling. <clears throat> yeah. That's why he painted it that. I think he's such a genius that he recognized that people would uh, fill in their own interpretation. Of I think he understood that they would do that, but I still think he knew why she was smiling. You're thinking that Leonardo da Vinci was flashing her or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, look over here. Well, now we know what your definition yeah, is. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? Why you wouldn't smile? Is what? Is that not the right answer? <laughs> We're not saying there's a right answer. I'm just saying I I want the artist to have an answer, mm-hmm. regardless if I even agree with that answer. I want the artist to know what's in the box, what's in the glowy suitcase for bullet, any of those things. I want the artist to know, regardless of whether I ever actually am told it or not. This movie, I don't feel like they knew. I think they just let us do all the work, and I think that's lazy. I disagree, sir. I like David Lynch movies where the assembled pieces, you can interpret them different ways. He clearly has no idea. <laughs> He's batshit crazy. <laughs> he does not where the, know where this is going. And even, you know, I, I used to get in fights with people again about Last Highway and things where they'd be like, oh, it's clearly this and all this. And I'm like, pretty sure he has said it is a collection of dreams he had. And they... You know, might be read this way, or it could mean something else. He, there's a book examining it, and but it's got quotes from David Lynch going, I don't know, what do you think? <laughs> uh, so, I'm sure I'll get a, a number of emails telling me I'm, I'm wrong there, and I'm quoting what he specifically said. But it's going to be batshit crazy, whatever he said. <laughs> so, I'm right in that risk regard. He makes his own coffee, did you know that? David Lynch. Isn't that a thing that all kinds of people do? Get no. some beans and he grind it up. No, he. You can go on his website and buy his David, Lynch, <laughs> David Lynch brand coffee. Oh, so like 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 Paul Newman dressing. You can get David Lynch. Coffee. I just crazier though because <laughs> I don't know where it's a coffee he likes, but I think he buys it in small things, and it might like come to his house and he sends it to you. It's in a weird, very personal way. He has a website where you can pay, you can subscribe to his website for an annual fee. That just goes to him, and then you can see his art and things that he puts up there. It was weird. <laughs> guy is weird. And yet, uh, I still, what he puts out, I go, that I can, is interesting. So somewhat respect him in the way that, you know, you can with mental patients. <laughs> you respect him like a mental patient. I'm, yeah, sure, you want, I'm sure he'd actually take that as a compliment. But I'm sure he would if he recognized the words. I don't know if Nicholas Wendy Reifen, I don't know if he uh, is up to Lynchian levels. I agree. I took it to an extreme to paint a picture of wh- why I think the, the concept is sound. Of filling in the blanks or giving some artistic interpretation to the viewer. So I thought it was watchable. I wouldn't recommend it to everyone. But for my money, it was fun to watch. I don't think fun to watch it again. It was was enjoyable. And that might have been because I was not only filling in spaces and motivations for the characters, but filling in homages and references to, like, uh, Michael Myers with the mask or just uh, the overall genre of horror from the 80s 
for when he's killing Ron, Ron Perlman. Those kind of things I enjoyed more from a film geek perspective than a, a regular audience member might have. So maybe next time we'll watch something with a little bit more of a populist fence like uh, Hunger Games. Oh, or uh, Twilight meets Running Man, right? Is That's pretty much the story. I haven't read the... They're not sexy vampires who sparkle, but there may as well be. It's preteen yes. Running Man. It is it is it is like Running Man in that it's a... TV show. It is a TV show, if I feel like, thing, and it's like... Twilight, because it's a girl protagonist. It's unlike Twilight in that it's not terrible. I, so. <laughs> I will reserve judgment until I see it, okay. because anything that you say is like Twilight. <laughs> it's already terrible. <laughs> and then it has to redeem itself a whole lot. Drive is like Twilight in that there are people in it. <laughs> All right. So, your so. argument against Drive is now justified. <laughs> Tune in next week. Uh, for something for may something. not be Hunger Games hey. I don't know no promises shoot us an email at too much film school at gmail.com if you want to tell Matt how wrong he's I remember when we were driving driving in your car speed so fast I felt like I was drunk city lights day out before your arm felt nice wrapped around my shoulder and I, I had a feeling that I belonged You got a fast car Is it fast enough so you can fly away? You gotta make a decision Leave tonight or live and die this way